0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Where's the try? Oh. And he's always prepared to give it a go.
1: Off the ball on BFM 89.9.
0: Hello, I am your host, Cam Ruslan, on Off the Ball here today on BFM and our two pundits. We're going with two up front today. Uh, he is wearing a West German T-shirt from 1974. He is Kishan and sundari <laughs>
1: I like,
0: like that, Cam. Hello, hello, oh, guys. It's a great shirt. It's a great <laughs> shirt. And our other pundit, Leeds United, not playing this week actually, but he'll be, he'll be, uh, he, therefore, he's not committed. He is Arvin Sidhu. everyone.
2: I'm just here with a simple black and black t shirt. That's all.
0: Simple black. Simple t-shirt. black. Yeah. Okay. So, um, today's show is going to be FA Cup semi final. Premier League and some Premier League previews for the coming week. So we start guys with um, another scintillating match between the two top teams in the country, in the the English England country uh, at Wembley and the result was Manchester City 2, Liverpool 3 when you've got two great teams like this playing, Arvin, it's, it's going to be down to minor mistakes. And your know, Manchester City were also able
2: to perform an incredibly huge mistake. I think when Pep came up post the Champions League game and said that we're in trouble, uh, I think this was kind of evident in the first half display. Um, let's not take anything away from Liverpool. I thought Liverpool were fantastic on the first half, really. Uh, but this was a City team that, um, it was a changed City team. Um, they had KDB on the bench. They had Rodri on the bench. Um, but I have to point out before we go into the game, there was some disgraceful booing by some of the City fans when there was a moment of silence for the Hillsborough disaster victims. So I thought every club has got its own set of idiotic fans, but those were evident on the weekend. Um, but this really, for me, showed that as much as we've talked about Man City spending so much of money, which they have, there is a genuine lack of depth in that squad on that day itself. Riyad Mahrez was the only substitute that they could use from an attacking standpoint. Um, Pep focuses on having 17 or 18 um, pros and then the rest of them academy players. But they, they, they missed players. And they, they missed Kevin De Bruyne and they missed Kyle Walker. But I think more than that, they had come off a, back, a match mm-hmm. with Atletico mm-hmm. Madrid where they had taken both a physical and a mental bruising as well because it's very difficult to get yourself up and about after a game like that, even though they've made their way through. Uh, but this was not taking anything away from Liverpool because I thought they were absolutely fantastic in the first half and the quadruple dream is very much alive. Um, great goals. The second goal, we talk about mistakes. Uh, Zach Stephen trying to do what Edison did a couple of weeks ago, but unfortunately that let him mm-hmm. down. Uh, but Sadio Mane, great technique for the third goal and Cornatia rising above everyone for the first. So Liverpool were great, but City are bruised and they need a bit of time to recover from this.
0: So Keish, uh Liverpool are the best team in the country?
1: I mean, on, on current form, they, they 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 probably are the best team in the country. They were devastating the first half. I think the one area where I'll slightly disagree with Arvin is the fact that I genuinely believe City have great squad depth in general. When you look across the park, you look, you look at the options on the bench the other day from De Bruyne to Laporte to Gundogan, and it's not like their starting eleven were bad players either. Squad depth is there. But when it comes to battling Liverpool, I don't think you depend on squad depth. I think you depend on squad depth when you're facing teams that are less significant than Liverpool that are less that have less quality than Liverpool. I think that's where your squad depth comes into the picture. But when you're playing Liverpool, you've got to play your best team especially so when you, you when you look at the way Liverpool started, uh, the, the players that they had in their starting 11. So, uh, to a large extent, I was—I I understand that the City players were knackered. I understand that it was an emotional fixture in, in midweek, but I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised by the decision to to rotate the squad. I know he does it, but in the FA Cup semis, I was a bit surprised mm. because of what is at stake, right? You—you've you, you, got a, an opportunity to win the treble here, um, which is which is if you do it, you accomplish it. It's. It's your biggest bargaining chip over your noisy neighbours. So, why wouldn't you have all your, your best plays in the starting eleven against Liverpool? Uh, that, to me, was slightly, slightly underwhelming. Uh, but eventually, how they responded in the second half, it, you know, it showed improvements. They got that, that, that second goal right at the end of the game. They wanted to push on for a third, but obviously that, that didn't happen. But the moment Liverpool scored 3, you knew it was, it was inevitable. You knew that with the amount of control that this Liverpool side have, they were always going to get to the final.
0: Yeah, that, uh, that 3-2 scoreline, I think, rather flattered uh, Man City. But uh, I just want to say, Sadio Mane, what an amazing player. And the, the, the desire for that, for his first goal, the technique on his second goal. I mean, I, I watched it and it was like, what did I just see? I have no idea what had just happened.
2: It was a season after Africa Cup of Nations, a full Premier League. It's amazing. I think there is a performance full of conviction. I mean, there was tremendous opportunism for the for the, for the second goal and fantastic, um, fantastic technique, like you said, for the third, which was a very good team goal when you look at the likes of Thiago and Trent being part of their third goal. Well, other than that, I thought in the middle of the park as well, I thought Nabi Keita had a very, very good game. I thought from a perspective that he's growing in the importance to what he brings to that Liverpool midfield three. For a lot of times in his first couple of seasons, it didn't seem to be there. There was always the reliance on Jordan Henderson. But Sadio Mane has come at an important part because a lot of Liverpool fans and a lot of fantasy football owners are quite quite taken aback by by Salah not contributing he gets the, a couple of assists but goals wise have started of dried up and it's kind of consistent with the, that, con, that contract talks that's happening right now so it's important for Liverpool that that someone else steps up and Sadio Mane has done it and they've got others that will step up we've seen Diogo Jota do it we've seen Luis Diaz do it so that really shows for me the Liverpool front front five are a very very scary proposition
0: yeah because when I think of Sadio Mane's season it just makes me want to go to bed Uh I just feel tired. Hey, uh, Kishanum, let's go to the next match, which um, Chelsea two Crystal Palace nil. I had Crystal Palace down for winning the FA Cup this year. I uh, hey, they did pretty well though, you know. And uh, but they got outclassed by Chelsea. And my single note is um, Mason Mount is very good.
1: <laughs> Mason Mount is is genuinely very good. Uh, but so is so is this entire Chelsea team. Um, you. It, it was a very weird one because I thought for large parts of that first half, uh, I, I looked at the game, I know the score was nil-nil at half time, but you looked at the game and you are like, like something is off when, when it comes to Crystal Palace, that, that they're not playing with the usual fluidity that they have, especially in the middle of the park. And I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to identify what exactly is different, what exactly is going wrong. And then you realise, oh yes, Conor Gallagher is in play." And he can't play because obviously he's on loan from Chelsea, right? And it is one of those things in football that really, really just genuinely, um, for the lack of a better word, it sucks. Because it, it's this is a kid who, who has been at the core of this Palace team. He's been a fundamental part of Patrick Vieira's setup. He's been so crucial to them coming this far in, a, in, in the tournament, doing that well in the Premier League. And, and you come to the semifinals, you're playing at Wembley. It's one of the biggest games uh, that a football player in England could reasonably aspire to play in, uh, and and yet he couldn't, and and it, it was a real shame, uh, and and I felt that his absence, whether we like it or not, had took a bit of a toll on Palace's overall stability, because they, they still did well. I think they still tried to create chances, but I think he's and because he's like an energizer bunny, right, in the middle of the park with his constant running and and pressing and his movements of the ball, and when you don't have have a player like that. Um, I think you suffered a little bit. And ultimately, I think Palace genuinely suffered last night um, in the absence of Conor Gallagher.
0: Yeah, he's had a, had a remarkable season, has Conor Gallagher. Uh, Arvind, uh, very quickly, do you want to add anything on uh, this uh, this match?
2: Uh, I mean, Palace played their hearts out for most part, but they were undone by two quick-fire goals. I mean, there were mistakes at the back. Uh, Tyreek Mitchell giving the ball away for the first one. And then the second one, Timo Werner, with some good play with with Mason Mount. But I think what, what we have to kind of acknowledge here is the incredible record that Thomas Tuchel has when it comes to reaching finals with Chelsea. I mean, I think right now, I think it's like six finals within the space of the 15 months that he's been there, which is quite a stat. So he sets out his team to win. Um, and the second time, they've got a domestic final against Liverpool. They played themselves in the in the Carabao Cup. Now they'll go up to themselves in the FA Cup. Uh, so it's makes for some interesting reading. Um, Liverpool obviously won the quadruple, but this is Chelsea's... Only chance left of a trophy and you expect them to kind of go all out. But Palace take nothing away from them. Fantastic season. Vieira is up there probably in the shortlist of three of the manager of the year. So for me, they've done really, really well this season.
0: You know, in olden times, uh, a Chelsea manager winning a cup would mean for sure being sacked um, and being replaced. But in new times, Thomas Tuchel might well be the manager of Chelsea next season as well. (laughs) Uh, we move on and we're going to be looking at some of the Premier League matches that happened over the weekend here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. Captain, leader, legend. Off the
1: Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. We're looking at the Premier League matches that were played. And now, Kishnan, uh as a Manchester United fan, we've been having you on and you've been upset and etc. with performances. But now you have a chance to shine and praise Manchester United when they finally beat the mighty Norwich City, who are top of the Premier League. Oh, no, sorry, I'm holding the sheet upside down. Um, But still, Ronaldo with a really good hat-trick and he scored a free kick. I I didn't know he did those anymore.
1: Yeah, I think his first free kick in like, what, a couple of years and it's also his only his I think since he left Real Madrid, or since his final season with Real Madrid, I think he's only scored like three or four free kicks, including the one in the 2018 World Cup as well. So it's one of those things that's not not exactly a part of his uh, weaponry or arsenal anymore. Uh, But but ultimately, it was a game in which we made it difficult for ourselves, right? It's 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 not really it, and it wasn't surprising. Um, When you looked at the starting eleven, we we know that prior to this game there were injuries to Fred and McTominay. And as much as we, you know, we could say a lot of things about those two, especially McTominay, but the reality is these two individuals are the only number six or number four defensive midfielders we have in the team. And and when you take those two out of the picture, uh, and I looked at the starting 11 and I saw Pogba alone in that number six holding midfielder role, and I, I had you know you, you you have this deep sense of concern within you when you see that on the paper, right? Because it's you—he's not built to play in, in in that role. He's not a holding number six. He's never done that at Juventus. Never does it for France. Is always accompanied by someone because he's not a defensive midfielder. He's he's essentially an attacking midfielder. But obviously, it was Norwich. So you thought to yourself, okay, maybe it could work because you won't be under as much pressure. But uh, ultimately, we won. But I just want to point out that if you look at a lot of the chances we conceded, and even those two goals that we conceded, I know a lot, a lot of people would, would, for the first goal, a lot of people would, would blame Maguire. For the second goal, a lot of people would, would say that Victor Lindelof was ghosted very easily. But ultimately, if you look at a lot of the situations, I think these situations would be prevented if there was a credible holding midfielder in that team. Because the credible holding midfielder would make off-the-ball runs that would allow your give your center backs a bit more protection. They would drop in to cover certain gaps that your center backs are leaving from to go and push on to attack some other place. So it's 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 all a positional thing. And and at the moment, there's not much you can say about Man United that is fresh, that is new, because we can wake up we're seeing similar issues, and these issues will have to be sorted out in the summer.
0: So if you were a, 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 an advisor for Ten Hag over the summer, and the way Manchester United recruits people, you could become. I mean, everyone seems to be. Um, who would you Who would you choose as this holding midfield?
1: At this point, Cam, I would just get anyone. Because we've needed it for a while. We've needed it for a very, very long time now. Uh, we've not had a, a, a proper holding midfielder in a while. And, and we needed one two seasons ago. We needed one last season. We needed one this season, but we haven't got it. You look around the market, obviously my number one pick would be the guy that Paul Pogba currently plays alongside for the French national team. I think he'll be exceptional. Aurelien Chouamini, who plays in in, in Monaco. He'll be incredible. Um, you get me Bobaka Kamara, who plays for Olympique Marseille. He would be great as well. There's obviously Yves Bissouma, who plays for, for Brighton in, in the Premier League. He's exceptional. Um, I mean, there's also uh, Arvid's favourite player, Calvin Phillips, who plays in Leeds United, uh, that's being linked with United at the moment, not saying anything. But my point is that options are there. It's not like holding midfield is, is a position where the, the, there is a, a gap in the talent market or something like that. The options are there. And if you look beyond England, look, I like Declan Rice. I love Calvin Phillips. But I also know that, that there's this thing called the English tax where... You know, if you sign a player from, from Leeds or West Ham, you're probably going to pay $120 million, $150 million to get them on board, which I think is pointless because that same amount of money, you could pick up three to four great players outside of the Premier League if you look at smaller markets like the French League, like the Bundesliga, like the Belgian League, and the great signings to be able to to be obtained. There. So the options are there. I just hope we go out and get someone
0: in the summer. Okay, so, so the summer transfer window could be fun. Hey, uh, Arvin, you're a little, uh, you, I mean, you, you know, you, you're, you're professional and you, you're balanced, and, and you don't have to say we when you talk about Manchester United. What, did, what do you think? I mean, one, I guess, you know, Norwich put out a good fight. Norwich are doomed. Manchester United, I mean, they they won and they had some some it was a great show, wasn't it?
2: I think Kish made some good points in terms of them not having that personnel because when you could see the runners that Norwich could run at the defense of United. Someone, someone who's a real battler in the middle of the park would have helped because they would have cut those attacks out. Um, I thought United attack-wise seemed to have a bit more fluidity than they've had in the recent weeks. They were much better compared to when they were against Everton, for example. I thought Anthony Alanga was quite good as well for, for, for helping out. Uh, Alex Telles with a good assist as well. So moving forward is is something which they seem to have a bit more than defensively. And obviously, they need to sort out in the summer, what do they do? Because besides the defensive midfielder, they need a young out-and-out number nine. You cannot depend on a Cavani that's going to leave and a Ronaldo who's who said that is you don't need Ronaldo to be dragging you out of these situations we remember this these goals against Norwich we remember the goals against Spurs and for me he Harry Maguire has the captaincy but for me when I look at this United team Ronaldo is the captain for me he's just the captain without the armband because he's the one that drags them out of these situations so they've got a summer where they need to get recruitment right um, but Norwich when they're to play I mean let's not take anything away from them they know that they're doomed uh, they're seven points adrift from safety, uh, but they went there and they, they have a they, they had a real good real good go. And at one point when it was two-two, Millers Rashika had a really good chance, but it was a fantastic save from David here as well. And Tim Krul could have done a bit better for the Ronaldo free kick, in my opinion. But United were good for their for their value. They you expect them to beat Norwich, and they have so hat trick 60, 60 hat tricks for Ronaldo. I mean,
0: hmm. the
2: numbers. After a while, you just forget the numbers because they're hmm. so astronomical.
0: Yes. It- it, yeah, it's remarkable. Mm. Um, actually, in this in this part of uh, off the ball, we're talking about the three teams which are fighting for fourth spot. And Manchester United have, have taken a, a real step forward in trying to claim that from the next team. Spurs, nil, Brighton, one. Spurs have been on a run of form. They've been scoring goals for fun. And yet in this match, Brighton absolutely snuffed them out.
1: I'm struggling to make sense of this Antonio Conte's first sight because there are games you watch them and you think to yourself, my God like this team could potentially cause a lot of troubles um, for the big teams uh, I mean when I say big teams I mean Chelsea, uh, sorry I mean Liverpool and Man City the next season if this if this momentum continues if these patterns of play continue to be, improved upon next summer. But it's frustrating because in this game against Brighton, uh, it wasn't like they dominated the game and were unlucky. And in the end, Brighton had this smash and grab um victory. because if you read the narratives online, you read you read what people are saying about it. Uh you read the fact that Troussard got a late 90th minute winner. You think to yourself that if you didn't watch the game, you think to yourself that hey, is this a, a smash and grab, a classic one where they just sat back, held Spurs at bay and completely got the result. But the reality is, no. It was Brighton that dominated the game as well. They held marginally better in terms of ball possession. They created much more chances than Spurs did. Spurs had five shots in the game. Brighton had 12. They were a lot more progressive. They were a lot more proactive. They weren't sitting back and trying to be reactive they were taking the game to Spurs and and it seemed like Spurs just couldn't handle it. They just didn't have an answer for it. Um, and it's one of those things that even I am struggling to figure out, or I'm struggling to make sense of it, uh, rather. Because, you know, Antonio Conte is a bit of a ruthless manager and these are the kinds of fixes that he usually get his old teams to, you know, just sort out, just get a one nil win, just get a 2-1 win, make sure three points is in the bag. But I think um, the man himself is struggling to get a grip over these sort of fixtures. Um, and, and it's it's a tough one because um, you'd want to give that learning curve. You want to give that opportunity to Spurs, but the reality is it's crunch time, right? It's it's battle for the top four. That's why there's a lot of pressure on Conte. That's why there's a lot of pressure on Mikel Arteta every single time these sides lose.
0: But Arvin, let's talk Brighton for a second. Uh, Potter, the manager... I think he's done, this has been a really great season for him. Brighton are likely to be placed higher than they've ever been placed before. I mean, in ordinary times, we're saying, oh, Everton. Everton's always that bigger club that can slot people in. But Everton are not the bigger club. So he's done great. And, um, and this match, I felt I really kind of saw why. It was defensively strong. They had attacking ideas.
2: Some praise. Definitely. I mean, they're like you said, they're on the course for their best ever finish in the Premier League. They started really well. They pressed Spurs so high up that Spurs at a point didn't really know how to kind of play through that, that 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 press. Um and they stopped Spurs going into any early stages of transition, which was important for Conte. And he couldn't he couldn't figure that out. And they're a bit of a scourge for North London clubs. I mean, they've beaten Arsenal now, they've beaten they've beaten Spurs. They've kind of come out on their Twitter and say North London is ours. So, so they're having a little bit of fun as they go about this as well. I think what's worked really well for Graham Potter is that the balance of the team compared to previous seasons is a little bit more evident this season. I mean, you look at the likes of Mark kukurella at left back. I thought he, he had Kuloseski's number the whole afternoon. And this is a Dejan Kuloseski who's been one of the signings of January, if not the signing of January, uh, Pascal Gross was a creative force. Everything went through him. Eneko Mwopu as well in the middle was doing really well. So there's all these little stories that are happening in Brighton that are really well. And let's not forget when when early part of the season, when Rafa Benitez was let go at, at Everton and before Frank Lampard came in, there was the talk of Graham Potter and he said, nope, I'm committed to this project. I'm not going to the Everton the job. So that kind of tells you where those two clubs are right now in terms of their journey. But eventually you would think Graham Potter, because of his style of his play, the way that he wants football to be played, he will be picked up by another team that gives him a little bit more resources to kind of go out and and do things. So, until then, Brighton have got a manager that will constantly keep them up in the division and that's all that they require. Uh, uh,
0: Kishnan, uh, another South Coast team caused trouble for uh, another London team and that fight for fourth spot. Southampton won Arsenal nil. Great goalkeeping from the the Southampton keeper. But I don't know, Arsenal were trying to be Arsenal and it, it didn't seem to work. I, 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 I was not impressed. There's a combination of,
1: in my opinion, there's two things, two things that are severely affecting them. And, I, and I, it's it's very interesting because when, when you see a sites like Arsenal that go on this, this prolonged, excellent form and then they just crumble, it's one of those interesting situations to, to try and figure out Uh, What are the variables that are potentially causing this? And when you speak to a lot of Arsenal fans, I think you can drive it down to two major points, right? I think first and foremost, the the, the team balance has been completely lost with the absence of Thomas Pate and the absence of Quirantini. And I'm not saying that Arsenal are a team that depend on two individuals, but Arsenal are a team that for that prolonged period of good form depended on this perfect balance all these individuals, in their right positions. When you talk about Kieran Tierney at left-back, it is not so much about what Kieran Tierney does as a left-back going forward, making those crosses. It's not just that. It's also about Kieran Tierney's relationship with the centre-backs. It's about Kieran Tierney's relationship with the defensive midfield, which in this case was Thomas Partey, and even he is no longer available. These relationships, these understandings, form a fundamental part of the balance that Arsenal had while they were on the excellent run of form. And when you lose that balance, when you lose that that ability to retain those understandings and that balance, you suffer. Because the players that have come in to replace these two individuals are Nuno Tavares, who is, number one, very different to Kieran Tierney in terms of how he plays as a left-back. But number two, he's vastly inexperienced when compared to Kieran Tierney and his relationships with all these different players significantly is different. Uh, and you look at the other guy that comes in 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 defensive midfield is Sambi Lokonga, who's, who I'm a big fan of, but but he's not Thomas Partey either. For large parts of the season, he played alongside Thomas Partey, uh, but now he's being asked to play alongside Granit Jaka, which is not the easiest of things to do as well. So you've got that situation, and on top of that, Ken, you've you've got this other situation where this uh, the failure to replace Obama Young. Uh, it, it, it's not to insinuate that Arsenal don't have goal-scoring abilities, but they're depending for goals on some of the youngest players in the teams, like your Martinelli's, to your to your Sakas, to your Odegaard's. Sorry, not so much Odegaard. He's not exactly young, young. But like my point is that over-dependence on these certain groups of players for goals is coming back to to haunt them. Because Lacazette like is clearly struggling to for perform. They're trying it out with Eddie Neketaya. Uh, who isn't the most prolific goal scorer, you could say. And, and and like like we saw against Southampton, twenty-three shots but zero goals. Um <laughs> it's not like they're struggling to create chances, but they're struggling to 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 convert a lot of these chances. So it's 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 a frustrating one really for Arsenal fans because they look very good for a very long time this season. Um but it's all unraveling at the moment.
0: Mm. So very quickly, you two, uh who is gonna which team is gonna get the fourth spot, the Champions League spot?
1: Uh, oh, this is really tricky obviously I want I mean obviously you know you, I've got a soft spot for United and obviously I want United to get, the, get it but um, at this point I genuinely think Spurs are still good value to,
2: to get the first one Arvin? Yep so for me it's Spurs as well I think Arsenal's uh, I think Arsenal if you start a season you give them Europe they would take it doesn't matter yep. if Europe or League yep. they would have taken it so I think Arsenal have to look at the bigger picture yes they've been on a great run of form but it would be an achievement for them. And United, for me, is just a lot of uncertainties and a lot of things that will come back. And they've got to play Liverpool next. So for me, Spurs.
0: Oh, OK. Something Spurs' hands don't usually hear. <laughs> but uh,
2: in a moment, we're going to be looking
0: more at the middle of the, the league and t- talk about some, some clubs we, we don't talk about enough here on Off the Ball BFM 89.9.
1: So whilst he's there it's been very difficult for other clubs to get near them he's that good off the ball
0: on BFM 89.9 and we're back with myself Cam Raslan, and Kishan Sundaresan and Arvin Sidhu and now Arvin we haven't talked on on or off the ball about Newcastle for for ages i feel like they haven't played any matches so Newcastle 2 Leicester 1 and this was a Newcastle transformed uh, st james's park was absolutely Buzzing, uh, whereas in the past recent times we've (laughs) they've sounded so dour dour. Um what what has happened? Is it is it the new players or is it the new manager or the new money? What is it?
2: (laughs) It it starts off with the new money. Let's look at let's not put anything behind it. It starts off with the new money because it creates a buzz around the club that there's a very, very bright future because of the amount of resources that they're gonna have moving forward. Uh, But then it came down to the manager getting his recruitment right in January, which he did really, really well. And then it came down to the players performing on the pitch. So it's kind of all worked in tandem for them. I mean, this is their fifth successive home win. They haven't had that in like, I think, three years. So to have that consistency at home and building St. James's Park to be a bit of a fortress is key for them moving forward. And they've done that. This was a team that was 20th, I believe, during Christmas around there. And now they're pushing. They're not there yet, but they're pushing potentially for a top 10 finish. It's That turnaround is is uh, is quite remarkable. And you take it, you put it down to the manager because the buck ends, kind of starts and ends with him. So for me, Eddie Howe has done fantastically well. And even to the point, I was reading the match day program for Newcastle on this day. They had Bruno Gomarez at the front. He was the man they spotlighted. It's like they could have predicted that he was the one that was going to come and get them the three points. So a lot of good things for Newcastle. They're going to stay up. And now it's really the manner of who do they bring in at this next transfer window because they're going to be active. But for me, I think you need to kind of manage expectations. You're not going to get the top tier players. You're not going to get the likes of the Haaland, the Mbappes. You can have all the money in the world, but it doesn't work that way. Players join projects. This is a very exciting project, but it's going to take them a while to get to Europe in the first place. And then even if the talk of considering to challenge, it's going to take a while. I don't even think so. Eddie Howe is that manager to bring them to that level. I think he's kind of a transitional manager to the next big name that will come. So Newcastle fans just need to kind of manage the expectations. There will be better players that come in, but it will take a good few years to get to where the ambitions that they want to be at, in my opinion.
0: It must be weird though, Kishnan, to, be, to to know that as a player or indeed as a manager, that you are a stepping stone, you are a transition to something else. That at some future point, there will be the Pep Guardiolas and the Kylian Mbappes, and uh, and you're just helping them on to get there. Yeah,
1: it's a tough one, but I don't think Eddie Howe is probably looking at it from that point of view. I think all of us uh, are more realistic in a sense where we accept the reality that as a club uh, with the kind of funds that Newcastle have at the moment, at some point uh, in, in in at some point in the tenure, they're going to push for bigger and better managers. Um, but I think there's two things here, right? First, Eddie Howe himself is an is a very highly rated manager um, within England. Um, he's got a lot of, of fans. Um, his style of football is very progressive. We saw it at Bour- Bournemouth, the kind of football they played with uh, limited resources. Um, but at the same time, I think Eddie Howe himself believes in his own capabilities. And and that's probably the only thing that's, that he's thinking of at the moment. Yes, the outsiders are probably saying that at some point, maybe two years down the line, when things are stabilised, a bigger and better manager will come. I mean, but if Eddie Howe keeps this positive momentum going, and if Eddie Howe continues to deal very well with the big-name players that they will inevitably sign in the next couple of windows, um, you never know. Newcastle could just stay on with him for as long as the momentum
0: is great. Well, it just goes to show that money can buy you success. So uh, we'll move on, though, to uh, teams. West Ham won, Burnley one. I was shocked, shocked, Arvin, shocked. No, seriously shocked to discover that Sean Dyche had been sacked. <laughs> because what on earth does Burnley board think is going to happen by the end of the season? They're going to go down. They need a Sean Dyche to get them back up again.
2: Yeah, I, I, this is one decision that I... I, I... It just beggars belief for me because, yes, they most likely were going to go down, but he would have been someone that's kind of would have you would have expected them to kind of challenge for promotion next season. They've kind of put the trust in a couple of names, Mike Jackson, Paul Jenkins, even Ben Mee, who's the, the defensive, uh, the central defender is kind of on the coaching staff now to kind of get them out of out of the situation that they're in. Um, and from what I heard, um, Sean Dykes for all his management of Burnley on a shoestring budget is looking for a 15 million payout Ooh. from Burnley for that sacking. So five 15 zero, one, one five, one oh, five. five, fifteen okay. million okay. payout. Yeah, and and the cost of relegation. Yes, you get parachute payments, but you would think the cost of sacking him and the cost of getting relegated, there's evidently going to hit them a little bit on the book, So I'm still quite perplexed with this one. Eight games left. What they needed to do is probably stop losing. And they did that. They, they did that against West Ham. Uh, Maxwell Conair, again, for me, he is their best attacking output. But we've talked about this with Keish a couple of weeks ago when he missed that sitter. This was a game where when they were 1-0 up, there was a penalty. If he puts that away, you're looking at three very precious points. And he was a very, very badly taken penalty. He was at foul for the free kick that West Ham scored as well. Yes, he assisted for the, first, for, for the goal. So for me... Maxwell Conair has got his very bright moments and his moments where he kind of lets the team down. Even Weghorst, who scored, he could have kind of defended that corner a little bit better. So Burnley would require these players that they've kind of invested on to help them. And while they're helping them take a couple of steps back, a couple of steps forward, they're kind of dragging them back as well. So for me, they could have got something from this game because I I thought West Ham was sleepy. They looked sleepy, they looked lethargic. Um, But Burnley in my opinion, will still go down. I just wish Sean Dyche would have given them a chance to bring them back up.
0: Yeah. So, Kishnan, um, Sean Dyche is available. Uh united. united? Yeah. you <laughs> know? united? No, I'm, yeah, not, I'm yeah. not joking. I'm not joking. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, I'd like to see what the relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo uh, you know, is, is, is like with Sean Dyche coming into the
0: window. He would punch him in the face. So, anyway, uh, let's talk West Ham, though, for a moment. Um, the Europa Cup is... Exhausting uh, for clubs that don't necessarily have the the great. They haven't engineered the depth of squad that is required for a campaign like that. Are they paying the price for that? I mean, they they really lost fourth spot, and they were not very impressive in in this match. Uh,
1: Understandably, though, I think West Ham fans themselves would excuse even even if West Ham had lost this one. I think the fans themselves would have excused it. they, They would have brushed it aside. They would have accepted it graciously only because it comes just a few days after uh, an incredibly emotional victory over in France. Um, And a victory like that on on a Thursday night, it it takes the emotional toll on you, right? Because um, you you read the interviews, anyone who watched the game, you could see the jitters within the West Ham side before they got their first goal. That first goal was so important because it really calmed everyone down. And I don't blame them. Um, Some of these players have never played at this level before. They are in a, a European semi-final against a French heavyweight, Lyon. And, and, and when you're up against a team like that, in a stadium like that, uh, the, the nerves are obviously going to get to you. And you could see it getting to them until they got the first goal. But you know, the moment they got the first goal, they settled down, they built on the confidence, and the second and the third completely killed the game for Lyon. But the point is that it, it, it was a consuming game. It was a consuming victory for West Ham. Uh, and and part of the price that you sometimes have to pay is when you come back to the Premier League over the weekend, you will you will stutter a little bit, and that's exactly what they did against uh, Burnley. And in many ways, the fact that they came out of it with a draw, yeah, I think I think fans will be pretty happy with that. generally.
2: Uh, quickly,
0: guys, uh, Arvin, do you think uh, West Ham can win the Europa Cup?
2: Uh, I'll put RB Leipzig as a favorite for me, but West Ham uh, are there, 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 there and thereabouts. Uh, for me, second favorite, so a really good opportunity for them. I just feel RB Leipzig has got his name on the cup for this one. Kishnan, do you think that's the same?
0: Um,
1: I, I, obviously, you'd like to see West Ham win it; it'll be the the, the great story there. Uh, but I think you can't even look past. I mean, Leipzig are clearly the favorites here, but you also can't look past can't look past um, in fact Frankfurt, who will be facing West Ham in the semi-finals oh. as well. Um, under Oliver Glasner, they've looked really, really compact. And and if they repeat the kind of performances they put on against Barcelona, um, I genuinely can't see West Ham getting past
0: that. Okay. So, uh, Arvind, now let's talk, uh, possibly for the last time this season, about Watford. Watford won, Brentford two. I, at the beginning of the season, I had Brentford. I just wrote them down, going to get relegated, done. But they've been magnificent. And in this match, Denmark <laughs> just Denmark all over the place. It, they, they look like they've been in the Premier League for so many years.
2: They've got six points away from, from Watford. That's what you do when you get promoted. You, you 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 get the points from the fellow promotion hopefuls, which they've done with Watford. But they've had a total transformation since the turn of the year. And a lot of it has been down. And I know we've talked about it a lot, but a lot of it's down to Christian Eriksen. I get mm. I mean, the delivery that that, that, that that man can kind of conjure up is, for me, sometimes just bewilders my, my sense that he's at he's at Brentford, but it's an opportunity for him to restart his career, and I'm sure he appreciates that. So it works both ways. He restarts his career after the unfortunate incident that happened to him, and the second time, he keeps Brentford up. So for me, uh, Brentford have done really well this season. Uh, Watford, I mean, there were a couple of chances at the end. You would think that right before Brentford had scored, right before Pontus Janssen goes up and scores. And by the way, that goal that Pontes Janssen scored, that Ericsson put on the plate, I think even me and Keish can score that. I mean, it was just literally, you just stand there and Ericsson puts it up and you don't have to move. It just hits you, it just goes in. But for me, Watford badly needed to get something out of this. Two home losses in a row now, first against Leeds, second against Brentford. The teams that are around there, when you lose those games, you give them three points and you're three points further away. Uh, and to lose in the manner that they have, just all Roy Hawkson's experience, he cannot translate that to the players because the players are still very championship level players. So they'll go down again, and um, hopefully they'll come back a bit stronger. But uh, yeah, forgetful season for me. For Arvin, yeah.
0: mean, I noticed you didn't say that I could have scored that goal. It was just you two, but not me. Oh no,
2: no, you could, you could. You could. <laughs> <laughs> You would have delivered it for me, Kish,
0: so you, can, you I don't want your pity. I don't want your pity. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Nan. Brentford a little again. We, uh, the, uh, the other day, actually, on the, um, on the Friday show, we were trying to work out, if you, if you were sort of like an average team, but you could have one truly gifted player, which position would you want that player to be? And that kind of midfield playmaker, the Christian Eriksen, I, I was thinking Andre Perlo kind of player that's the kind of player you you would want isn't it
1: i i think about 10 years ago or 15 years ago the way football was played a lot of people would have gone for a striker Uh, i think the way the game is played now a lot of people would go for possibly even a holding midfielder someone to dictate play christian edixon isn't exactly a holding midfielder but he's more of a deep-lying playmaker uh, that's able to push on into the number 10 position and and you'd want someone like that uh, to be able to influence uh, creative play. And, and and the crazy thing, Cam, the crazy thing about this Brentford side is Christian Eriksen is exactly what they were lacking. It's, it's, it's insane how great of a match it is. It, it blows my mind because we, throughout the first half of the season, you look at this team and you think to yourself, what exactly are they missing? And they're missing that creative spark. Uh, because anyone who watched Brentford about a couple of seasons ago in the championship would know that uh, that front three of, I think it was Ivan Toni, uh, it was uh, Oli Watkins, sorry, no, it was Brian Mbwemo, it was Ollie Watkins, and it was Ben Benrama, who currently plays for West Ham. You, you look at the front three and you think to yourself, just the amount of creativity that that comes from Benrama alone, you know, with his runs, with his passes, his movement of the ball, it's, it's, it's all terrific. But the team has obviously evolved. It has changed a little bit. They no longer have Ollie Watkins. So Ivan Tony came into the picture. He's an incredible striker. They've got Brian and Buemo who continues to create. But they lack that one additional creative spark. Someone who can conjure something out of absolutely nothing. Someone who's got the eyes to pick out passes in the middle of the pass. Maybe not necessarily final passes to the strikers, but sometimes you pick out a, a, an incredible pass to find a winger. And that winger can then go on to assist the striker, right? There's a lot of things like that. And in that sense, they could not have been a more perfect player for Brentford than Christian Eriksson. It it really is a match made in heaven. And, and I'm genuinely happy not just for Brentford, but for him as well, because he's clearly, clearly enjoying his football at the moment.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's really great to see him back. And so um, as we come to the end of this section of, of the ball, we we say a fond farewell to Watford and uh We look forward to seeing you again sometime, perhaps. So, but we move on. We're going to be looking ahead to Premier League matches coming up here on Off the Ball, BFM 89.9. England's highest
1: quality title race of all time. But coming out on top again in the
2: Premier League, Manchester City.
1: Off the Ball on BFM 89.9.
0: Welcome back to part four of Off the Ball. And now we're going to be looking forward to some really quite interesting... um, uh, midweek matches that will be happening in the Premier League. The big upcoming match this week would be. Well, it used to be a big. This used to be a big upcoming match. I don't know if it is now. It happening at Anfield. It's going to be Liverpool v Man United. Keish, um, are you feeling confident that this magnificent Liverpool team can be beaten? No. <laughs> oh. it's as as, <laughs> refreshing it's, realism though. No,
1: it's, it's as simple as that, as simple as that. And, and I'll tell you why Cam because in the past in the last two seasons even when we weren't exactly the greatest team even when we had significant struggles under Olegana Sosha I think the one thing that was always clear was how Sosha was going to set up against bigger teams he would always sit back a little bit and aim to push on the counter attack. And if you looked at, and if you look at Solskjaer's records against against the big teams in the last two seasons before he got sacked, there were multiple wins over Man City. There were even victories over uh, Liverpool as well. Um, and in, in a lot of these games, the pattern of play is similar. You you play your Rashfords, your Martials, and your at that point obviously Mason Greenwood. But he's not there. But even in the absence of of Greenwood. Um, which, for 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 very valid reasons at the moment. Back then, you had um, Daniel James as well, who could who could run defenses ragged with his with his incredible work ethic and pace. And you had this clear style of football that you play against big teams. Against small teams, United struggled, but against big teams, you know how they were going to play, and that style of play often got them the result because big teams would push against United, and then when United break with pace, they sometimes struggle and somehow we sneak in victories against these big teams. So back then under Ole, you you, you knew you were going to be the underdog in these big teams, but you could always sometimes get this feeling that, hey, maybe a win is you know, it's quite possible here because of the way you know we could set up. But this current United team don't have that. The moment we signed Ronaldo, we lost the ability to do that. The moment we let Martial go on loan, we lost the ability to do that. Um, Rashford is struggling with form. Mason Greenwood is being Mason Greenwood that this team no longer... Daniel James was sold to Leeds United, obviously. So this team no longer has the capacity to to be as devastating on the counter-attack as they were uh, last season or the season before that. I'm not saying that we can't counter-attack at all, but not as devastating as we were in the last two seasons. So I can't imagine us doing that against Liverpool because this is an incredibly mature Liverpool team um, with a lot to play for, with a lot of confidence, um, on on their shoulders, FA Cup finalists. They're into the Champions League semi-finals. Uh, they've already won uh, the the League Cup. In they're pushing for the Premier League title. It's it's worlds apart at the moment. And and honestly, if if we get a draw out of this, I'll be happy.
0: And uh, from Liverpool's perspective, Arvin, uh, they're going to field a full strength team for this, aren't they? This, I mean, it's been an exhausting season, and it's, there are so many more matches to go, but they're going to throw everything at this one, aren't they?
2: They will, because for them, uh, it gives they, they play before Man City, so it gives them a chance to go above Man City with a win. So for me, they 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 I think, even with a draw based on the goal difference, I think they would go above Man City. So for me, they're going to go out and get this. The only thing that I could see a potential spanner in the works for Liverpool on this is if there's any club that wants to stop Liverpool's march towards that 20th league title. It's Man United. If they believe in the history of that club, these group of players will say it's been a bad season, but we can stop Liverpool at getting to that 20th league title. That's the only thing I could see yeah. for Man United salvaging something. But other than that, it's very tough for Man United in this current predicament and currently how well Liverpool are playing. Let's
0: change it around a bit. Kishnan, Chelsea versus Arsenal. This is an important match, and I'm not that Chelsea are going to lose their third spot, but Arsenal could really start. And really must start uh, pushing for that fourth. But I, I looked at the stats, and Arsenal have not won at Chelsea since 1903.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's it's. <laughs> I, I I honestly can't see past Chelsea for this one. I think um, there is a sense of togetherness about this Chelsea team at the moment uh, that 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 has come out of all their trials and tribulations this season. Uh, I, I think that. They dropped the ball a little bit against Real Madrid in the Champions League first leg, uh, but the, the response after that against Southampton, especially against Real Madrid in the second leg, um, the way they played against Palace yesterday, um, there is a sense of togetherness about this Chelsea team, uh, and, and, and there's a part of them that feels uh, that feels that uh, this is like one, it's, it's like one final opportunity to do something because. No one knows what's going to happen to Chelsea in the summer. There's a lot of question marks. Nobody knows. Um, will they be bought over? Will the new owners be as financially affluent as Roman Abramovich? Uh, will will players uh, leave the club in, in, in large numbers? So no one knows what's going to happen to Chelsea in the summer. And I think that that uncertainty is, is a very important catalyst towards uh, bridging this sort of togetherness in the moment. Right. It's it's right now no one is thinking about maybe not necessarily thinking about Chelsea next season. I think everyone is kind of a lot more focused on what they can achieve now, what they can do now. uh and, and, and it's it's probably something that, that will give them the edge of arsenal because um I, I'm not sure if Kieran Taney or Thomas Pate will be back for this one. And and in the absence of them and the absence of a credible striker up front, it's very difficult to imagine you uh,
0: for Chelsea in this year. Yeah, it is. It is difficult. And Arvind, actually, I don't know what the uh, situation is with the um, ownership issues. I believe the bids are in. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and Kishinan raises a very interesting point. Yeah, it could be a very different landscape at uh, Chelsea next year. I mean, people could leave. I mean, how much m- Saudi Arabia already owns Newcastle?
2: They haven't got that money anymore. They, they, I still think whoever, the, the, the prospective owners of Chelsea are still very wealthy individuals, whoever. I know the Ricketts family has pulled out of it uh, and that's to the happiness of the Chelsea fans because they've come up with some some quotes in the past that hasn't shown a very inclusive way of running an organization. But the prospective other buyers that they have, have got a lot of money behind them. It's just a matter of, I think everyone, Chelsea fans, if you ask anyone, Thomas Nuckel for them is literally gold. They they want to maintain him regardless of how the season ends. Even if they lose the FA Cup final, Thomas Tuchel needs to remain at Chelsea, and that's what every Chelsea fan wants. But with owners, you don't know because they dictate with a man that they wanted the helm. So things could change a lot. Um, so it makes for a very interesting summer for for Chelsea. We would we wouldn't have said that probably two years ago, right? Newcastle looking forward to a transfer window in Chelsea and Chelsea <laughs> transfer window. So knows yeah. how much things can change in football over time.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of things changing in football, um, I think this is a, a fascinating match. I'm looking forward to this one, actually. Everton versus Leicester. Everton have, well, they, they've given themselves a chance. There's a bit of a gap, Keishan. and they, 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 they have a greater chance of survival, win or lose, I guess. But it's still really important for them to put on a good effort. And Frank Lampard is not a very good manager.
1: <laughs> um yeah, I, I think from Everton's point of view that, that victory over Man United will obviously be a catalyst for an improved uh, confidence. But I think ultimately, they cannot completely just bank on what they did against Man United because that was a very disjointed Man United side. Uh, it's not like Everton had to play their guts out to get to get a great result that day. I think um, against Leicester, they would be tested a bit more. Um, the one good thing is, and and, and I know even Descork he'll Will continue to drum this, which is the fact that every game that Everton played, at Goodison Park is the one that they've got to win, and they've got more than enough to be able to win those games. This Goodison Park is an incredible venue in terms of how loud it can be. Um, like for example, a couple of weeks ago, when when Everton had that capitulation against Burnley in midweek, if that were played at Goodison Park, I don't think it happens. I mm-hmm. I, I really don't. So I, I think. This time around, it's a midweek game again. It's 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 at night, but they're playing at home. They're playing at home. They're playing against the Leicester side that, is, that has also had you know its own sets of uh, struggles this season. So this, these are the kinds of games that you would want Goodison Park to be able to just push you and get you over the line in terms of acquiring the three points.
0: So you think that they will win?
1: Yeah, so I don't really think Frank Lampard is, is a great football manager either, but I think that there's enough quality in that team and there's enough heart and soul in Goodison Park to be able to get them over the line against Leicester.
0: Yeah, yeah. Leicester, uh, we haven't really talked about it much recently either. There seems to be some, I don't know, a bit of hot and cold, mostly cold. Uh, the injuries have come back. I don't
2: know. It's. Uh... <laughs>
0: what's going on there?
2: Um, Let's not take away that from the fact from the the conference league, they they got a really good result against PSV, a PSV that's actually fighting with Ajax for the title, a PSV that's not, that's beaten Ajax in the final of their domestic cup. So in Europe-wise conference league, they, they, they seem to have kind of put a little bit more effort at the expense of the league. Like you look over the weekend, the likes of Harvey Barnes, the likes of James Madison, they were all on the bench. They were all on the bench. Yes. Obviously rotation is important, but they were on the bench. And you would expect them to come back into this game. Uh, and now you've kind of seen, finally, after many seasons, five to seven seasons, we've sat here and talked about it. James Wadi, I mean, Jamie Wadi is not, no longer the man that we talk about all the time when it comes to Leicester. That's much more than that. They've had Wesley Fufana come back. James Justin has come back. Defensively, that's very important for them. So for me, I just look at his Leicester squad and I think that what they've done in winning the FA Cup, winning the Community Shield, winning the Premier League, now adding a European title, albeit the Conference League, it's something different. So well, for me, they've kind of focused a little bit differently. So eyes think might be off, but I still expect them to to beat less to, to beat Everton in midweek. I still feel they'll beat Everton midweek. The, the way you were
0: speaking just now, you think that Leicester are going to win the the Conference, the Europe Euro, Europa, whatever it's called, Conference League?
2: <laughs> well, they put themselves in a good chance for that. I mean, but... it's, it's possible though. It's definitely yeah. very possible. Yeah,
0: and then that would be a, that would be a good season, wouldn't it?
2: you would consider that. I mean, they would still think they would want to be in top 10, but at the expense of that, a trophy, I think the fans would be happy with that. Yep. Mm -hmm. So uh, we move on. Listen, we don't have to
0: talk too much about this because we've spoken at length uh, about them earlier, but uh, Newcastle versus Crystal Palace. Um, In a sense, two teams not really playing for anything, Keish. but at the same time, there's a lot of pride at stake here. I think that Newcastle, the players, and the management really want to show themselves and that uh, Palace really want to come back from their defeat at the semi-final.
1: Whatever you say, Cam, that's exactly the narrative. From from Palace's point of view, um, I, I wouldn't blame them if, if they're a little heavy in terms of emotions at the moment, because obviously they were looking forward to that FA Cup opportunity. But... When you pick up a defeat like that, it's always slightly difficult to push on from a from a defeat like that. You might struggle for for a week or so with the emotions, with their headspace. Uh, but the best way to get out of it is to immediately switch your focus towards the Premier League and get three points on the board. And and, and as you said, Cam, there's not exactly a lot to play for either for Palace, right? So that'll be ringing in your mind. But for Newcastle and Eddie Howe, there's still a lot to play for. Look, there's no trophy, but if they can get a top 10 finish after where they were just three months ago, that would be a remarkable achievement for Eddie Howe. And it'll be something like a trophy itself for him. It'll earn him massive brownie points with the board as well in terms of being able to uh, sign more players in the summer, better players, players that he personally wants. Uh, So so in my opinion, there's still a lot to play for for Newcastle. I think they won that top 10 finish. I think they'll be eyeing it. They'll be looking at it like it's some trophy like it's a top four spot, they will be looking at the top ten as, as, as an incredible achievement and, and so as long as that opportunity is there, Newcastle will have everything to play for.
0: So that brings us to the end of uh, this week's edition of Off the Ball and it only remains me now to thank Arvin Sidhu.
2: Have a good week everyone, speak soon.
0: And Kishan and Sundarehsan.
2: Cheers guys, enjoy the week.
0: And I am Cam Russell and please join us on Friday but for now it's Off the Ball BFM 89.9. Was a try, And he's always prepared to give it a go. Off
1: the ball on BFM 89.9.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.